scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 7 through 16. I invite you to hear these words from 1 Kings. But after a while, the wadi dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water with a vessel so that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing made. Only a handful of meal and a jar and a little oil and a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of the meal and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of milk will not be empty, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did, as Elijah said, so that she, as well as he and her household, ate for many days. The jar of milk was not empty, neither did the jar of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah spoke. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God. We are back in First Kings again this week. If you were here last week, we read about Elijah. And we're reading about Elijah again. And I know you are thinking, literally, no one ever preaches about this man. No one ever reads First Kings. And we're getting it twice in a row. But that's because Elijah is such his life, his ministry, the people around him, the story of Israel in this time is good. And when I say that, I mean it's good because of how God works in the midst of some bad. This week, we're actually a couple chapters back in 1 Kings. Last week, we read about how Elijah wanders into the desert and lays down under a broom tree. This week, we were before that desert wandering. To offer some context as to what's happening in 1 Kings, as you may remember, um, things are not going great for the people of Israel. They're not going great for Elijah. Chapter 17, where, that we read from today, what we didn't read is there's actually a declaration of absence of rain for an undisclosed number of chapter 17. We are in a severe drought. It hasn't rained in the area for years. And the people of Israel have interpreted this as a punishment because their king is pretty bad. King Ahab is the ruler at the time because he did evil in the sight of the Lord. People are thinking it must be 
Jordan Valley to be specific. God invites Elijah 
invites Elijah into this risky move, telling him that the answer lies there. The lasting effects of drought and crop failures, the exposure of the bodily work that it would take for Elijah to walk, puts him at risk. And when he gets there, he finds that the river Jordan has dried up, that there's nothing valley. He's gone on this long journey, he's tired and he's weary, and all he's found is another dried up river. It's here where Elijah meets the woman we met today. A woman known only by her social status, that is the widow of Zarephath. Much like Jesus of Nazareth, she's identified by her location, but in this case, she's not, not identified by her name, but by the fact that she doesn't have a husband. He is dead. And that tells us everything we need to know about her friends. Being the widow of Zarephath means that she is a woman whose husband is dead, who is raising her child alone. And in biblical times, that is a death sentence, friends. Widows were among the most vulnerable in the community, and the world was built in such a way that men were the only ones who had agency. As a woman, she wouldn't own property, she wouldn't be allowed to have power, she wouldn't have the ability to work or make money. Widows were some of the most vulnerable people. They were subject to abuse and frequently ignored by wealthy and powerful people. If we read through the Old Testament as boring as all of the laws are, you will find that biblical law attempts to provide and protect for widows. Old Testament prophets tirelessly rally against the widespread oppression of widows around them. Deuteronomy prescribes laws that say the cloak of a widow should never be taken from her. It should never be taken from widows, orphans, or strangers. It says that widows are to receive a share of the tax and tithe collected every third year so that they may have something to live off. That they have a claim to the fruits and the grain that fall on the ground during harvest time so that they may have something to eat. In Israel, like other ancient Eastern society, it was the responsibility of the king to safeguard widows and her own workers. And as you might remember, Ahab's not great. He also isn't Jewish. He doesn't serve the God of Israel. And so these laws instated by people of Israel don't apply to him. We are in a drought season with an unkind king doesn't care to abide by Jewish law, who doesn't care about the most vulnerable, and that means the widow of Zarephath has no hope. She has no husband to provide for her and her child. She has no king to protect her family. There are no crops falling because there is no grain. There is no grain to share. There's no money from taxes. At best, she can hope that people will be kind to her, and as we might have experienced,
lockdown, people in moments of scarcity are not inclined to share with people who need it. This foreign widow is one of the most disenfranchised people in Scripture. With severe drought, she is living at the brink of death with her son and probably has been for years. Meeting her at the edge of the city while she's gathering sticks to go home and cook she and her son's last meal, Elijah calls to her as God commanded and says, Bring me some water in a vessel so that I may drink. Which I will admit initially seems incredibly brutalized. <laughs> I mean, like really, this man doesn't know her. He's just wandered into the city and he's found a woman who's incredibly vulnerable and is treating her like his personal servant. As she goes off to bring him the water that he has asked for, he asks her to bring her a morsel of bread to And she says, By God, I have nothing. Just as God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of meal and a jar and a little bit of oil and a jug. I'm gathering these sticks so that I can go home and make my son and I our last meal and we will eat it and then we will die. And she doesn't expand upon what that sentence means. But it does mean that she thinks she's at the end. That death at this point would be a kindness. Because she and her son have suffered for and there is no end in sight. She has nothing. She has enough for one meal, which she plans to prepare, and perhaps she's thinking about it in a joyous way. This is the last one. And then we will die. And that just is so heavy, friends. To be at a place death is so kind, and at a place where the world cares about you so little that you've accepted this is just how it is, when it doesn't need to be, what is wrong with us? Something we saw in the COVID pandemic was while there was these food shortages and toilet paper shortages and all these things, other people had hundreds of stockpiles. It's not that there was a lack of resources or a lack of enough, it was that we just didn't know how to give it to other people. In response to this widow, Elijah says, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake for me and bring it. And then afterwards, go make something for yourself and your son. The jar of meal will not be empty, and the jug of oil will not fail. Not until the day that the Lord finally sends rain. 
seems to sort of provide in this moment. For this woman, for her son, and for Elijah, this incredibly unlikely group of friends. The woman goes and does, as Eliza says, she makes him cake. She makes one for herself and her son. And then the next day, there's just enough to do it again. And then the next day, and then the next day, and so her household ate for many days. The jar of meal never became empty, and neither did the jug of oil fail. According to the word of the Lord that Elijah spoke, every day these people woke up, perhaps wondering if the jar would be empty and the jug of oil would be dry, as they exist on the edge of death. And every day, when they prayed to God for a blessing, God provided just In this story, there's never an abundance. The jar never overflows. The oil doesn't spring up and start running outside of her house. The river Jordan doesn't suddenly regain water for them to drink. Gold doesn't fall from the sky. They never win the lottery. <laughs> but until the rain comes every single day, there's enough for them to live this, friends, is what I think of as an ordinary miracle. And by that I mean, for them, there is a miracle every day. That a jar that should be empty isn't empty. That oil that should be gone is not, and they are still alive. And in today's world, just having enough for today is a rare thing we appreciate. We want to have enough for next week, and next month, and next year. We want to have a plethora. We want to have all the things. We want to have 10 million rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> when it's literally impossible to use that much toilet paper. <laughs> what does it mean, friends, for us to rejoice when they're just being to be in a wilderness season and to realize that not everyone needs 10 million of everything, but if we're paying attention to it, there can be enough for everyone. What does it mean to believe in abundance? To lean into a theology of abundance and not a theology of scarcity? What does it mean to resist the impulse to hoard and to grab things up? Instead, just, just letting it be. What does it mean that instead of ensuring we live and we live well, that all people live? <laughs> this mindset of scarcity, friends, is dangerous. Because when we start hoarding, when we start panicking, when we start gathering things up, it means other people don't have what they need. I've talked about this before. Uh, but growing up, I grew up in an incredibly insecure household um, where my mom was on disability and that is not a living wage. And uh, my dad was working, but it was difficult to keep a job. And those finances rarely actually made it into our household. Um, and so my mom was making our household work on like $15,000 a year. 
And that meant that she picked which bills she was paying and she picked how things worked. And while she was a disabled person, she would often work anyway and get paid over the table. And then she would come home and she would cry in physical pain. And then she would do it again the next day. And so this idea of we're right on the brink hits home for me because I watched my mom navigate that and what amazed me about it is while there was panic, she never didn't have joy. She always believed that there'd be enough. That God would provide in some way, and in the weirdest way, it always worked. There was a month one time where we didn't have, we were behind on our water bill for like several months, and my mom was like, I, I can't pay this. It's not going to happen. And our next door neighbor actually did win the lottery twice in one week. She won, yeah, she won several hundred thousand dollars in scratch off tickets in one week. And she went down the neighborhood literally handing out hundred dollar bills. And that time of week, our water bill was paid. There was another instance in which my mom needed to have surgery. And that was something we couldn't afford because dental, dental work is not covered by insurance usually. And somehow, the women's group in our church figured it out that my mom wasn't having the surgery she needed to have because it was going to cost about $1,500. And so this women's group under the table paid for my mom to have the surgery she needed to have. Friends, there is always scarcity in life. Different levels of it, we all Continue to journey through this Lenten season, I want to invite us into that mindset. We should never expect abundance from God because, frankly, we don't deserve it. We should never expect that God will always make it okay. And as a people of God, we can trust that in every very moment of scarcity of life,
This Lent, friends, I want to invite you to lean into that and to lean away from the the desire to just work things up. Because maybe if you let go of some of that, someone else can have enough. 